Welcome to the Develop Yourself Podcast, where we teach you everything you need to land your first job as a software developer by developing yourself, developing your skills, your habits, your network, and more. My name is Aaron Hayslip, and today's episode is quite unique. We're interviewing Brian Dayton, who was actually my first boss as a software engineer, but he's not just my first boss as a software engineer. He's also an extremely successful entrepreneur. He exited a few years ago and is now coaching other engineering managers and engineering leaders. So the reason why I wanted to have him on the podcast is so that you could hear a story of some options, right? He started off just like myself as a lowly software engineer and through hacking on Tuesday nights at a Tuesday night hack night, he built a company that was worth millions. And so I hope you enjoy this episode of learning about Brian's perspective, going from software engineer to entrepreneur slash engineering manager. And I hope it helps you think about what your future will be like as a software engineer, either becoming an entrepreneur like Brian or an engineering manager. But first, before we get to the interview, I want to share my story about how I met Brian, because I think it puts me in your shoes as I was a new boot camp grad looking for a job, and Brian is one of the people that I met along this journey. So I had just graduated from a coding boot camp in the end of 2013, beginning of 2014. I knew of this company in downtown Austin called Mass Relevance. I think they had a couple hundred people, maybe not even that. At the time, I had a couple of friends that worked there, and y'all, it was the coolest place in the world. They had massage chairs, regular ping pong tournaments. They catered Whole Foods lunch every day. I mean, this was just a completely different world from the one that I had come from. So watching their culture from afar, from Twitter and the feeds of my friends that worked there, this was this was my dream company. I really wanted to work there. And in the process, I had met Brian because I was just hardcore networking. And he, he actually invited a few grads from our boot camp into the offices to start a conversation. And it, it was honestly quickly apparent that I wasn't going to land a job there. They weren't really hiring very many juniors. And it seemed to me like Brian was just being nice by having us there. I think he was actually looking for a grad um, from the boot camp if there was someone who who really stood out. And a previous grad from a cohort before me had gotten a job there, but this guy was like a freak in the best way. I mean, he was a hardcore dedicated genius level developer. At least in my mind, that's what I thought. And I was like, I know I'm nowhere near that guy. So I ended up somehow securing a contract at a different company. I think it was a four-month contract. And honestly, it wasn't a good situation. Um, I didn't do well. They didn't set me up for success. And ultimately, I had a conversation with the guy who was my manager there. And he was like, look, we're, we're not moving forward with you. <laughs> and he was kind of an awkward communicator. So um, it, the, the conversation was weird. And basically, it was like, yeah, you're, you're fired kind of because my contract ran out and didn't renew. I didn't necessarily want to tell anybody that. But at that time, I had some experience under my belt. So I sent an email to Brian and I didn't give him specifics of, hey, they don't want to renew with me. I just said, hey, my contract is is out, which was true. Um, it's running out, um, looking for the next thing. You know, I wanted to reconnect to see if you had any openings. And I remember he responded essentially saying, hey, look, we don't. I do have a need for a contractor um, on an hourly basis to do some work on, you know, X, Y, Z. The, the tools actually aren't, aren't, I think it was Backbone using grunt and um, handlebars templates. So I responded being like, absolutely. What I really wanted was a full-time contract so that I could essentially show him like what I'm made of. I wanted to, to really just be part of the team instead of being a contractor, because what I said explicitly in the email is, Hey, I really hope this turns into something full-time. And you know, essentially what he said is, oh, I think we could probably do something like that. But if you're, if you work more than 30 hours, then you're going to need, uh, we're going to have to provide benefits and, you know, we, we don't want to do that. Um, we, we just can't for this contract. And so I said, well, how about this? What if you give me a contract that's, you know, three months long where you pay me 30 hours a week for, um, you know, whatever. And I, I forget what the rate was. I think it came out to basically being a rate of, $75,000 as a contractor, if I were to work like a full year 
doing that. But obviously, I, I had to pay my own taxes, etc. So it, it wasn't that great of a rate, to be honest. And my aim from there on was just to show up, try and pretend like I'm one of the team, even though I was a contractor, and say, screw it, I don't care if you're only paying me 30 hours, I'm going to work as much as you need. And I knew basically nothing. I mean, I was, you know, if looking back, I was terrible. But as Brian kindly says in this interview, um, he saw me as someone who was hungry, willing to learn. And that as a junior developer just makes up for so many skills. So I was, you know, just huffing it. And every time something went wrong, um, I would raise my hand to try and step in. I remember staying late every once in a while on a Friday. Again, this was back in the day when everything was in person and just trying to volunteer to help with something. And I wasn't very helpful at all. But anyway, through that process, I remember one shining day when I was sitting at my desk and it was really cool space. Like we all had open seating. I think the chief marketing officer sat across from me, like Brian, um, who again was co-founder of the company, VP of engineering was a couple tables over. The CEO was at a table, just open desk kind of thing. I remember one faith, fateful day, <laughs> I was just sitting at my desk and Brian called me in this little conference room. He's like, Hey, Aaron, you got a second? And I was like, sure. And so he pulled me in the office and he just said, Hey, look, you're doing great work. Um, think that we'd love to keep you around. Uh, we've got a full-time position open. If you want it, it's yours. And I was like, uh, yes, please. Uh, and he said, great. What do you think a good salary is? I remember, you know, speaking back to him saying, um, mid sixties. And he responded he goes, me too. And that was it. And I know for sure, like, that's the quote, him responding, saying, Oh, me too. Because you can just hear the way Brian speaks in this podcast short, concise, straightforward sentences. Part of what makes him a great leader is his ability to communicate well. But that changed my life. I mean, I just had landed my dream job. I mean, 65000 isn't an incredible amount of money, but for a 20-something-year-old kid with a baby on the way, I think maybe my son had just been born, it was, it was life-changing. I was now a software engineer, and it was it was now mine to lose instead of a goal to gain. So anyway, all that to say, I feel like I'm sort of awkward in this conversation because even though... I'm 34. I've started a few businesses now. I feel like, you know, I'm, I've got my own, uh, hat to hang in, in some ways. When I'm talking to Brian. I think the last time I talked to him, um, other than this podcast was 2015, whenever I quit my job to start a, a Coney camp, And I kind of felt like I was a 25 year old kid again, um, at mass relevance, just doing this interview. So heads up, if I sound awkward, I was nervous as if Brian was interviewing me. And thankfully, as you know about my story here, I didn't have to do a technical interview. Um, it was sort of a, a, a two-month-long technical interview. So, um, you know, not sure I would have made it if he would have made me whiteboard something. But anyway, all I have to say, I'm extending this, but I hope you gain a lot from this interview. Um, I think it's an exciting conversation. It's super exciting to hear how an ordinary guy like Brian can build something extraordinary and even earn an Emmy, as you'll hear, in the process. Enjoy. We can, we can, we can just riff. Um, Perfect. Yeah, for sure. Well, well, Brian, man, thanks so much for for being on. I, um, I did. If, if you're okay with starting a little bit about your your background, um, we were talking, which I should have recorded that too. But uh, <laughs> you were you were my first. Again, I don't know how the I don't remember how the levels stacked up back in the day at mass relevance, my first job after Coney Boot Camp, you were the man who extended me the offer and, you know, were gracious enough. The, those, that period of my life where looking back, I'm like, I knew nothing, um, before I decided to exit to, to start Coney Boot Camp. So it's, it's full circle to have you, have you here, but man, I would love to hear, hear a little bit about your journey of being a software engineer, becoming one all the way through, you can give me like the the shortcut to starting your own company, exiting, and I don't know. You're always on the beach now. Like that's what it yeah. seems like. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Uh, th th I do spend a fair amount of time on on the beach these days. Um, <laughs> but uh, the story you're asking for is a fairly long one. You know, I'm I'm almost fifty now, um, and I've been well, you coding great. since. Thank you. Appreciate that. It's probably the uh, the beauty filter. There um, we go. No. Uh, so uh, a little bit, I'll, I'll mix a little bit of personal and professional if that's, if that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so um, Brian Dayton grew up in uh, the Chicago area 
and uh, went to uh, school at college at the University of Illinois, Urbana-Champaign. And uh, I actually didn't start in computer science. I did end up getting a computer science degree there, but um, actually just a little tidbit started uh, in doing uh, material science, uh, ceramic engineering. And nice. uh, I was taking computer science classes as electives and loving them and acing them. And uh, when I hit my junior year, had my first like 300 level physics course and have, after getting straight A's my whole life, like I failed it. And I'm like, uh, maybe ceramic engineering is not for me. And my nice. advisor's like, well, why don't you pursue computer science? It looks like you're doing it. I'm like, is there a future in computer science? Like, can I actually, you know, can I make money, can I make money doing that? And uh, it's like, I think How so. How times have and, changed. Indeed, indeed. Um, so jumped into that at school, uh, actually got my, one of my first coding jobs was at NCSA, which is National Center for Supercomputing Applications. Um, it was pretty well renowned for creating the first graphical browser called Mosaic. Um, I actually did started off doing technical support for that and, uh, pretty quickly moved into a, a coding related job and, um, Graduated, graduated with a computer science degree there from Illinois and uh, got recruited to come down to Austin in the late 90s, 1998, to work for a company called Trilogy. And uh, for those who are not super familiar with the Austin, uh, I guess, tech startup ecosystem, Trilogy in the day was this upstart against Microsoft. It was like, I mean, they weren't building the same same kind of software, but like if you were a computer science grad, you either went and joined the massive, the behemoth that was Microsoft, or you yeah. considered this, you know, 50 person startup in Austin. And I did that. Uh, and one of the best decisions of my life, for sure. I'd say now that Trilogy is kind of like the PayPal mafia of the, of the, yeah. of the Austin world. Um, people from there still maintain great connections and have gone on to found and run, you know, some of the most influential companies in the world. That's crazy. Um, it, it was incredible. It, it was and has been incredible. Um, so that got me to Austin, started at Trilogy, and really over the course of uh, about a decade, that was 1998, um, I'll say over the course of about a decade, I was uh, either starting companies, uh, being engineer number one on companies that I did not co-found, leading team, starting to lead teams. Um, I was never far from the code as much as I was responsible for management in a number of, uh, on a number of companies. I was always, always, always close to the code. And I do think that's important, um, to, as a, as a technology leader to stay close to the technology just gives you more credibility with the team and, uh, because they know that you've walked a mile in their shoes. When you say close to the code, like, were you on a weekly basis pushing something up or doing reviews? What did that look like? Depend. So definitely reviews, uh, definitely depends again on the stage of the stage of the company. But what I would say is, um, you know, there, there's kind of, it's almost a religious argument, about whether or not an engineering manager should code and my thinking there is actually quite simple. It's like if you have handled the, your or your breadth of responsibilities with respect to managing the team and making sure the processes you run are are seamless, if you have extra bandwidth and you can meaningfully contribute, then hop in and do it. You know, it's extra horsepower. Yeah. Um, I will say that as companies get larger and the set of efforts that a team is responsible for grows, uh, very commonly it's smart to keep your efforts outside of the critical path. Uh, I found myself, uh, and I mean, I'm jumping forward a little bit, a little bit, right. But, you know, even as I had a team of 300, I was still contributing code, but generally it wasn't code in the code base, like in, in our, in our product suite, it was code around the product and code around the team. Uh, one of the things that I, I remember identifying that we were having a dramatic reduction in effectiveness as a team because our our dev environments were super flaky. And yeah. so I'm like, I can solve that, you know? And so I coded something to just uh, make sure that whatever was wrong environment-wise was, was fixed up. And it could take a, a box from, you know, brand new factory installed to running our dev environment in three minutes. And so just that 
enabled me to kind of fuel the fire that I had. You know, I was still building something, still staying close to the code, still still contributing. At the same time, it wasn't something that if I slept on it was going to prevent us from shipping a release, you know, and, yeah. and, and got us effective. No, super interesting. So, and I want to get back to your, your narrative, you but quick question on that. Um, do you do you feel like from an, your perspective, like, do you need to do that to retain clout, um, to keep your chops up? I mean, what what's the motivation for, let's say you're an engineering manager who doesn't want to code anymore. Like, what's the motivation for for contributing to, to projects like that? I I do think that, so like I was saying, it's good to, I think it's important for the team to know that they've walked a mile in, in your shoes. Like, yeah. it's there is a little bit more respect that comes with somebody who know who who can appreciate the technical challenges that the you know that the people on on the on the team are encountering every day just knowing that yeah. that I can understand what what everybody is dealing with I think is important um I wouldn't call that clout I think it's just yeah you know I want to be, be sure that we're speaking the same language and that I have an appreciation for the hard work that that everybody's doing and so staying close to what they're doing, um, not supervising, but actually getting in there, I think is, is helpful in that respect. Um, yeah, I love it. Okay. Also, also, I, I think that exploring, like I, I love, and I don't, I, it's probably not the, the right time to jump into that specifically, but I am big on hack nights and hack weeks and exploring new technologies which of course can have a strong impact on what we do from a product perspective. I do think it's important to pick technologies, especially as your business scales that you can recruit people for, you know, the people are excited about. Uh, also there are times when new technologies come into being that may have the opportunity to do something for us from a product perspective. Yeah. Like, Oh man, maybe we can, we can we can fold this in, use this technology, and I think it's important as a person leading the group to be aware of that, to have the chops to play with it, to explore it, and see whether or not there's applicability for uh, for our product. Yeah, I, I'm so, excited to to hear in your story if um, if the Tuesday night hack night comes into play with with the birth of your companies because I want to drill in on you that. You know it sure. does. You know it does. Yeah, I'll get back to the to the narrative. So came down to Austin, uh, spent about. 10 years in different dev jobs and, and dev management companies founded, uh, one co-founded one company that was like a dot com boom and bust era failure, you know, raised a ton of money on, you know, a, a slide deck and, and no credibility. It was super frothy back then, but that ultimately failed, learned a bunch of lessons. Um, really, and this is where it get into you and I meeting, um, in 2009, See, Twitter had been out for two years. Uh, I think they, they launched in 2007, 2006, 2007. Been out for a couple of years, and uh, some of my colleagues had been playing around with access to the API, um, access. It was fairly, it was much easier at the time to get access to the Firehose or, or a, 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 like a limited version of it. And um, in as we were playing with that, we had a friend who... Uh, was selected one of a very tiny handful of people to go to uh, President Obama's victory celebration in Grand Park in Chicago. And to chronicle his journey, he built a one-page website that was just tweets from him and his traveling companion in this beautifully designed site. That was it. Wow. And um, my friend and future co-founder, Eric, uh, Eric Falcao, said, boy, I'll bet that would be interesting and valuable for businesses, you know, people tweeting about their products, um, not them tweeting about their own stuff, but people tweeting about it, a bit of social proof. Um, yeah. we'd probably have to do something to like filter out people who are trying to speak bad about it. I will say at, at the very same time, uh, this is sort of lost to legend, but Skittles replaced skittles.com, their website, if you went to skittles.com, it redirected to a Twitter search page of people saying the word Skittles. And I you can that. imagine that immediately it was overrun by people off color, uh, profanity, yeah. you know, it was terrible. And so they learned in that moment that there's value in filtration, curation, moderation. 
And so we started toying around with this idea. Oh, there was a third factor. Uh, there was somebody at Twitter um, who tweeted out, is there anybody doing anything in the Twitter moderation space? Because we have some mm. big media brands with big media dollars who are interested in a solution. That was our impetus for trying something out. We literally, I remember that was a Friday because there were five of us having played with Twitter, having explored this or having seen this Skittles failure, we're like we can build something. And we built the first version of the product in a weekend. There were five of us that got together and, and did that. And on Monday, we showed that we sent a link to the Twitter person who tweeted out and the response was lukewarm. It was uh, like the direction you're going, keep going, not exactly what we're looking for at this time. Uh, at that point, there were three of us that stayed on, two that, that uh, did not, and three of us started working on this uh, on our private time, on our, on our personal time. And yeah. what that amounted to was we would get together very regularly on Tuesday nights for hack nights. And there was an event at the time in Austin called Cafe Bedouins. It was this idea of these entrepreneurial software developers that would just needed that needed time for pursuing passion projects. And we yeah. would migrate on a weekly basis from one coffee shop to another and just sit down, talk about the project we we're building and then put our headphones in and, and hack. And uh, out that. of that came this business. Um, we named it. I, I'm, I'm fast forwarding over quite a few of the details, of course. Yeah, but sure. Um, we we named it Mass Relevance. Uh, we raised some raised some funding, uh, and that enabled us to quit our day jobs uh, and pursue it full steam ahead. And uh, let's see. We I'll say you know we we connected with Twitter. I. There's there are lots of great stories in here, Aaron. But I'll I'll just I'm say sure. that um, we ultimately we connected with with people at Twitter. We showed the value of what we built. It took multiple iterations of the product to get to something that was truly valuable. Uh, Twitter, in parallel, had a ton of media customers who were interested in having these filtered streams of Twitter content on their websites and yeah. ultimately in their television broadcasts and. Twitter themselves was not staffed, I guess, to, to handle it. And they said, hey, you need to go talk to Mass Relevance. And so Twitter themselves ended up being a strong uh, lead. They, they would sense a, a lot of a lot of business leads. Uh, we were p a part of probably every major pop culture event for a decade. Yeah, it's crazy. Uh, television shows, we were used to power social voting for... Uh, for American Idol, for Dancing with the Stars, we were part of uh, you know the Super Bowl and the, and and the FIFA World Cup and all these music you know tons of award shows. One w one very common example that I like to use as an example of the technology is for award shows. Um, and uh, you know to support the events, I've been to the Academy the Academy Awards, uh, the Grammys, the Latin Grammys, the, the Country Music awards and what would happen is that you know people are tweeting about these award shows we uh so if somebody wins an award you know uh aaron you won best best actor right and uh as soon as that announcement is made on live television people are tweeting all around the world our software found all those tweets brought them in filtered out all of the garbage and then put in front of a television producer the set that made it through that looked like high quality content with tons of other it would run through all yeah. these rules they'd pick the ones that they liked and then those while the person was walking to the stage they would show those on television and then they'd shut it off when the person gave their gave their speech that was our technology that all that whole process that I just described, the tweets being sent, running through the rules, being put in front of a producer, that was all in less than a second. That's and so crazy. that notion of, of real-time curated Twitter content is what really put us on the map and ultimately earned us an Emmy Award. Um, yeah. Little known fact, they, they've got like primetime Emmys and daytime Emmys and technology Emmys. So those are for uh, technical contributions that move the television industry forward. So we won an award uh, for involving the audience via Twitter. Uh, we, 
accept, accepting the award at the same time was the company Twitter. So Twitter and Mass Relevance each won an Emmy. And uh, the person hosting the Emmy, the Technology Emmy Awards was Alex Trebek. So, uh, you know, of Jeopardy fame. So I... No way. Yeah, shook his hand, you know, accepted the award. And uh, and yeah, so that was a neat thing that we did not expect as, as we built this company. That's um, amazing. Man, I feel like I'm getting quite a bit, quite a bit off track, but I, I, I will no, say this, that... This, this, I mean, I'm personally like in, I don't think I ever like knew some of these background stories, you know, I just like jumped in and then from the outside saw, you know, I had some friends that were working at mass relevance and I was like, Oh, this seems super cool. Like this culture seems amazing. And I just jumped in and never had time to, to hear this. So this is, this is cool for me personally to hear awesome. some of this background information is awesome. There, it, like I said, there are a million more stories. Uh, I appreciate you mentioning the, that the culture felt strong because that was very intentional. Um, yeah. We sought to build, and this is, this, as I'm, as I'm starting to say this, I'm realizing that this has parallels with this notion of management and leadership, engineering management and leadership. Yeah. Too, too often people think that there is a set way to do things. It's like, Oh, we're a larger organization now, so we need to run review processes, and we need to, you know, we need to be really, uh, we need to be documenting everything. And so, in my experience, leading is just showing the way. It's like, how do you want this to be? How do you think this should be? And then you do it. You follow through, and you do it. And so, when I talk about creating an intentional culture, it's like. Well, how do we create a company where people love to work, they want to join if they're not already a part yeah. of it, and they don't want to leave? You know, what does that look like? How does that feel? And, I, you know, I feel like we did have some magic sauce there. It, it certainly helped that the products we were building were powering these pop, pop culture events. It just looked cool. It felt cool. You could point yeah. to it on television and say, you know, we... <laughs> I built that, which is, which is a neat feeling. Um, absolutely. No. And, and I, I, um, you know, I think from, from my perspective, you know, stepping in, I think the the, the, the part where I, I came into the journey was, you know, a few years in right before you guys merged with, um, spread fast. So probably like y'all's first, I don't know what you consider that some, some probably mild form of an exit. I'm not sure how, how that all worked out, but I want to back up real quick and ask, you bet. I think, you know, in the beginning, whenever we weren't recording it, I said, there's kind of two things I want to dig into because I think a lot of folks, uh, which is entrepreneurship and then the engineering manager perspective. And we're, and we're thinking about our audience of, of folks who are learning to code and thinking about stepping into that at some point, probably. Right. I think everyone has, most people don't necessarily have the ambition of, I'm just going to go like sit at a desk as, as an engineer for the next 30 years. Um, maybe, you know, I think that I do, definitely have friends who are incredible engineers who continually get amazed by solving larger and larger problems. But I think for the other section of folks, and this is probably largely boot camp types because I, you know, they're probably more like me. Like I, I, I wouldn't say that I navigate towards being an engineer. Like I'm not engineering minded necessarily. So I think even like my abilities contributes to software itself were, were unique in the sense of like, I, I felt more gravitation toward how the user felt than I did, you know, solving a complex engineering problem. So I'll have to say, I did want to ask though about, that season of your life where you were, it sounds like from the get go, like long before mass relevance, you were already thinking about startups and startup ecosystems. So a couple of questions. One, like when did entrepreneurship become like, come on your radar? Like now it's mainstream, right? Everyone's thinking about, they could start a company. I'm sure back then it wasn't right. It was, it was probably more for a select few. So I'm wondering how that happened to you. And then like, how did you balance at some point you had kids. I don't know how old your, your kids are these days, but oh, you know, I've, I've got a four, six and eight year old and yeah, the idea of a side project, it's crazy, right? I mean, mm -hmm. the, it sounds like that's what the, the cafe Bedouin was for you, but yeah, I, I want to hear those two things. You bet. So, uh, the first one was, uh, how did I sort of hit on entrepreneurship? I got pulled into it quite honestly. Um, co-founded my first company as one of five co-founders in 99 and um, I, I had no idea at all what I was doing. I just, I had some respect from my trilogy colleagues. All five of us were, were from trilogy. We left to, to start uh, a company and 
but it quickly put its hooks in me. It's like, it, mm. again, being this naive, you know, person straight out of school. Okay. I'm entering the real world and big business. And, you know, you got to be really buttoned up and getting together with these five colleagues in a house, you know, in a, you know, in a couple of bedrooms to work on a company where you don't know what it is exactly that you need to do as a business. Like you, you have an inkling, you have a, some motivation, some inspiration, an inkling of an idea and you have passion. And so it's like, okay, what's our next best move? That's, 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 that's what got me, you know, you know I've long been since childhood, a, a gamer, not like, you know, a game like I've I've loved playing video games and competing in sports and all that. Yeah. And to me, being an entrepreneur feels like a game. It's a tough yeah. game. You get beat up all the freaking time. You get beat up all the time. But the idea of boy, there are a million things that we could do, but we can only choose to do one. What is the best yeah. move that I can make right now? Man, I that, you know, as I talk about it now, I've been doing it now for over 20 years and it still gets me excited. This idea of playing this game, can I create something that has an impact? Yeah. And I, I just, I love that. You know, it, I think I know that not everybody is fueled by the, those, those feelings of, you know, can I create something that will help somebody that will fix a problem, that will solve a problem, that will have an impact, um, I know that because to sort of segue to your second thing, I have two kids and they see me and my wife separately pursuing entrepreneurial ventures. And, uh, while I see some occasional sparks, it's clear that they're not driven, motivated by the same thing. So I've got two boys, 17 and 14. My older one just got accepted. Uh, he's decided he's going to where he's going to go to college. So we're all excited nice. about that. Love it. Um, and uh, so, so I, I guess to 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 finish finish kind of one thing, it was that first getting pulled into and, and truly uh, getting pulled into that group of five to start a company, and then getting hooked into it by this. Wow, what's the next best move we can make? Like that feeling resonated with me so quickly and I sought to find that feeling at every subsequent company yeah. I went to. I will say as well, uh, it related to that. I said to, to every company that I went to, I didn't just start founding companies from that point forward. It is super common for entrepreneurs, especially entrepreneurial software de developers to follow this, this like sine wave, this cycle of do something really risky, really entrepreneurial, you know, feed my soul. And then if that doesn't work, join a company to fill my bankroll and less my yep. soul, you know, so I can live a little bit longer. And then once I've got my feet under me again and my batteries are recharged, go back into, uh, you know, pursuing another entrepreneurial venture. Um, so that's super common. It's definitely what I've done. Along the Love way, it. as you join these other companies, you meet other great people and the ones with whom you develop the strongest relationships, those become your best prospects for co-founders. Nice. So did you meet, oh, I guess you met Falcao at Trilogy. It, no, he was, he was not a Trilogy. Uh, he, oh, okay. I mean, a lot of stories about him. One of the companies that I joined, um, so this is interesting. Actually, for a lot of, uh, I think a lot of your, uh, of your audience will, will find this interesting. So um, when I was in school, I, I came up right as Java was being created. I was very early built writing Java. Um, I was more of a backend guy versus, uh, you know, like a front end HTML, CSS, JavaScript kind of, kind of person. Um, in, I think it was 2007, must've been around 2007. Uh, I was dabbling. I got hooked into Ruby on rails, um, like different language, uh, very different than Java. Like there was something that really hit me about it. It just felt like there was so much that I could do in rails specifically. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to working, trying to build web stuff in Java. I'm like, man, I, so I started dabbling in it, you know, just like playing with that on the side. And there was a small startup in Austin, 
you know, I'd, I'd gotten my feet under me. My batteries were a little bit recharged. You know, bankroll was, was feeling okay. There's a small startup that was doing, was building something in Rails, which was quite nascent at the time. And I'm like, I want to make a leap and jump to that company. I was called Five Runs. Um, did not end up being successful. Uh, I was not a co-founder. I was just like a developer. It does a funny thing. I was like jumping straight back in, even after doing Java for you know many years. Here's this new technology that I'm kind of a total yeah. noob at. Um, but I maintained that 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 perspective like you had a moment ago, you know, very user centric. I was hungry, liked using uh, tech. I consider the technology, the language to be a tool. You know, nobody, nobody wants a drill. They want a, a clean quarter inch hole, you know, that's so, so yeah. like work backwards from what they want and uh, and use the best tool to get there. So uh, but while I was at five runs, uh, we hired a few people. And I remember this one guy, very excited, very energetic, very technically capable, showed up one day early for his interview, um, came back the next day and aced the interview and developed a quick relationship. That was Eric Falcao, my, my, my subsequent awesome. co-founder. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, we met at five runs. We actually jumped to another company after that entrepreneurial venture. We went to a more solid company, both of us worked there and as well it was while we were there that uh all of this uh twitter mass relevance stuff started um that's amazing you're asking about yeah and i about think family as well yeah I, I think i'm just thinking about like the the tra trajectory of like um you, having kids in the midst of all of this i, I wasn't mm -hmm. sure what, which point you, you had kids and how you manage your time because i mean this is this is not like what you would typically think of as like a journey. Like, this isn't something reproducible, right? Where you would map out, try a startup, fail, go get a job for a while, go work at a startup, fail. I'm just wondering how you think about those decisions. I think that's what plagues most people is you bet. Even stepping into to a boot camp is like, do I have the finances to to do this? Am I willing to take these kinds of risks? And I think from my perspective and probably yours too, like most of these risks are not as risky as you might think and are incredibly worth it, you know, even if it's just for the learning. Certainly gratifying. Uh, but what you're describing, it really hits home for me because I do classify entrepreneurs in two big buckets. One, uh, the, it, and that is in the path that they pursue. I call them uh, the artist's path and the uh, maximizer path. So what I mean by that is that the artist path is like, I'm going to drop everything and pursue this path. So I'm going to quit my company. I have an idea. I'm going to go build something new and I'm going to go all for it hundred percent. And if it doesn't work out, darn, that sucks. I'll, I'll do something else. Yeah. The maximizer path is like, man, I can't afford either dollar wise, time wise, you know, emotionally, I can't afford to drop everything and go pursue it. Uh, I need to simultaneously make some money, stay on my feet, support. This is the key thing, support a family. And so, and while simultaneously wanting to see if there's some, if there's a there there, if there's something there with yeah. respect to this business that I want to build. So the first one allows you to go at it full speed for sure. The second one does not, you need to balance two different things. And that is, that is, I'm in the maximizer path. Um, try to do as much as possible, maximize uh, my income while maximizing my opportunity to uh, with this new startup. When we started Mass Relevance, all of us were married with small children. Nice. Uh, sorry, we were married and we had small children. Just to be clear, we're not married to small children. Um, so <laughs> great. So clear clarification. You bet. Yeah, want to make sure that's clear for everybody listening. Um, the uh, it, when we started first hacking on the code, I remember Eric Falcao, he had twins. My co-founder had twins that were, he started coding when he was in the hospital at their oh birth. Oh my gosh. Now, I love it. Now, now don't, please don't take that to say, oh, wow, why weren't you focused on the birth? You know, you should be focused, you know, focus on, on family first. Um, he well, absolutely biologically, was. you know, <laughs> there, the but, role he plays, uh, <laughs> indeed. Uh, no, to, to be clear, um, every one of us is 
we are very focused on building strong relationships with our family, building a strong family. And indeed we all had small kids as we were building these, um, building these companies. Like I said, though, we were doing, uh, following this maximizer path. And, uh, what that meant is that, you know, we couldn't go at it full bore. We had to balance our time spent on working on this, uh, this company, this idea, this product with time spent, with our spouses, with our kids, you know, all that kind of stuff. And you bet it takes, I mean, it's and honestly while holding down a day job as well. I mean, that's, that's like three full-time jobs, right? Yeah. Um, and so the one thing, and I will say for the one thing that I think was probably most important here, I'll say two things. One, um, for decades now, or well over a decade, we've been doing this Tuesday night hack night in order to build businesses and focus on these other technologies and, you know, feed that entrepreneurial fire. My wife has been a critically critical uh, piece of that puzzle. You know, she has supported me going like keeping that tradition every week, you know, even with, or especially with small children, you know, it's like, okay, I know that for three hours on Tuesday night, that, you know, she's going to have the kids by herself and, and I'm going to go off and, and be hacking and that level of support. All of us who co-founded mass relevance were in that boat. And yeah. I don't know if we could have done it without that support. I love um, it. So did y'all did just to follow up on that. So have you, y'all have continued the Tuesday night thing that like you're still grinding out Tuesday nights. Yeah. Is it so same I, crew. What day is today? Today's Thursday. Yeah. Two nights ago. Uh, so, the crew has evolved. Uh, I'll say so. The Tuesday night hack night. Yes, it was instrumental in. It's no longer Cafe Bedouins. That has that nomenclature has sort of fallen by the wayside. But the idea of setting aside some amount of time every week to focus on a passion project. I mean, that just resonates with me at my core. And yeah, we did that to build the company. And then when we had a company, we fostered that idea inside the company we had uh i don't know if you remember or participated we called it mass relevance nights mr nights um and it was the idea was if you have a passion project it doesn't this isn't extra time to work on your work stuff this is you know do you are do you want to work on an open source library do you have an idea for a company that you want to build we actually and this is pre-covid so we had an office and and all that yep but we would order food and people would gather to focus on these extra efforts on these, uh, these, these, these quote outside efforts. We had people who are writing books, people who are composing music, you know, people who are building software, of course, and people who were building software to build new companies. Um, and so we did that. And there was a point I should probably very briefly say, so we built mass relevance. We merged with Spreadfast in 2014. Yep. That was another social related, social media related company in Austin. And then we ultimately sold to private equity in 2018. It was probably post Spreadfast uh, merger, like 2015, 2016, where the company, I'd say lost an appetite for, just broadly lost an appetite for getting together regularly for these hack nights. Um, so it did fade away as we hit yeah. uh, a particular size. The size we're probably north of 500 employees at that at that point. When I le- after we were acquired, I ended up staying on uh, for another year and then left at, at the end of 2019. Um, we started Hack Nights back up again, uh, and so I love what it. is it? We're t- it's March of 2023. Uh, you know, I've been doing that for like for like three and a half years now. After after that and. I've built a lot of personal passion projects and um, yeah. So I keep it going. That's a, that's a, that's a a really long answer to your question. No, I love it because, you know, I remember those Tuesday nights at the office on eighth and Brazos and Mm. that was the same thing. I I remember at least the legend that you guys started in mass relevance Tuesday nights where you basically, you know, asked your wives permission in some ways to, Hey, can I just stay late and, and be here? And that's what I did. I mean, we had a newborn son and it was like, you know, I'm Tuesday night, I'm blocking it off. And I didn't do it every Tuesday night, but I would be up there and eating cilantro. And yeah. I think that's, that's honestly where I started 
thinking through this idea, like starting a boot camp. Um, Love it. And, and you know, and then I ended up leaving. That was that was my last W two job. Um, was was wow. was a spread spread fast mass relevance. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think it's that's such a legacy to be able to keep that going, not break the chain, and then. I mean, I, I can't imagine like my story is the only story to come out of that of, of folks who have been inspired by what y'all did and then, you know, kept the kept the torch lit to say, well, if these guys could do this on Tuesday nights, we could surely start our own passion projects. I love it so much. That is that is the the ethos that that Hack Nights really uh, represented, and and I'm hopeful that today now today in Austin there's like this Discord channel where every entrepreneurial software dev I know anybody who's loosely interested in this I send them the invite and we just gather at a coffee shop and and hack just like in the old days and I'm hopeful that some more companies grow out of grow out of that regular practice nice um, well um, maybe I'll have to join you guys one of these Tuesday yeah, nights man please do please do uh, I'll send you the discord link uh, after this right. so I, there is one thing I forgot to mention that I think is important that in those earliest days when we were trying to juggle both day job, family, uh, and this new entrepreneurial venture, it was challenge. We, I remember there being a very specific conversation. It's like, what are we trying to get out of this? Yeah. And we ended up developing something that we called the five K plan. The five K plan was we are, we're hopeful that we can create some product that is successful enough to generate for each of the three founders an extra $5,000 a month because we believe that that will be life-changing for us to, uh, to for, our, for our time with our families. It would give us the opportunity to be serendipitous and like, you know, r- run off to, you know, take an extra vacation or something like that. And that 5K plan was helpful in went for whenever we needed to make a decision. Does this get us closer to the 5k plan? Mm. Cause like I said, you've got a million things you could do. What's the one move you're going to make. And it's like, does this get us closer to the 5k plan? And if the answer was no, then we wouldn't do it. We would pursue some other thing. I think it's useful to have tools like that. Uh, I love it. And I love that that is a, a small enough milestone. Cause you know, if you think about entrepreneurship, like making an extra 60k, for a lot of developers these days, at least it's, that's like a job jump, you know, <laughs> or you know. go to big tech and you, you're, you're going to get Indeed. five times that in equity or, or something like that. Uh, so, but, but I love that that's a, a small enough milestone to where you can, you can beat a drum toward, toward it, you know, and Indeed. actually probably see a dent. And I'm sure that was something, obviously whenever you're raising capital and it's your full-time gig, that's, that gets changed pretty quickly. Yeah, it, it was ultimately when we decided that there was a, there was a, a bigger opportunity. Um, I mean, there's even there's a bigger story here that I won't go into, but um, there was a point where it's like we had an opportunity to to actually get some real funding and make this our full time job, so that we wouldn't have to balance both a day job and and this entrepreneurial venture. And uh, we leapt at that once we were able to bring in some funding. Uh, we at that point abandoned the 5k plan in favor of growing a business and nice. and you know love it i think to bring it full circle to to you aaron um i didn't uh, so eric and i were two of the co-founders um we were both highly technical uh what we decided to do role wise was for him to take the cto role and me to take the vp engineering role and the way I think about those is CTO is tech first, people second, and VP engineering, people first, tech second. Uh, it nice. naturally mapped very well to our personalities. And um, as me, uh, VP engineering, people first, tech second, uh, much of my time in the early days was, yes, building product, but attracting, retaining, and, and growing a team. And in the earliest days, a lot of the team we sought to bring on was... Uh, more senior talent. As we grew, we knew that we would have to bring in just to make this business sustainable. And I mean, for a variety of reasons, we would like to put uh, less experienced talent on the teams with the senior talent to to have them grow under the sort of tutelage of, of somebody who's you know been and done a lot. 
And that's when I ran into you. You know, I had the opportunity to interview a number of people from local boot camps. Um, and for you, you may not have had like tremendous experience coding, but you had the hunger, you had the drive, you had that, you know, user centric thinking, like we need to solve a problem. And that's what I was going for. And so brought you on board. And not only did you have that, but then, you know, you very quickly soaked everything up and were contributing meaningfully to the, to the product for, for a long time. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate that. And it, it is so funny, honestly, because I don't think I've talked since I've to you since I've left. Um, but it, 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 I'm like, now I'm 25 again and I'm like, all right, this guy's my, my boss. <laughs> 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 because you really were, you were, you were my last boss, um, before, you know, like the, cause I think I was honestly probably, and I do maybe, maybe I don't, I shouldn't feel bad about it, but I was only there maybe like a year or so before I was like, Oh cool. I'm a software engineer. Now I'm going to go start a company, which, mm-hmm. you know, in hindsight, um, it worked out, but would probably do it differently. Would probably would advise others to do it differently. And that's always honestly a story that few people who listen to the podcast realize is, uh, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't an, actually a real software engineer for very long. Um, and you, you know, if, if your trajectory is entrepreneurship, you don't necessarily need to be depending on what it is you're going to, you're going to work on. Um, man, I, I feel like in some ways I've hijacked the conversation because I'm super interested in the entrepreneurship story, but I did want to get into like what you're doing these days and what does life look like post 2019? You know, I, I see you posting a bunch of stuff about encouraging and engineering managers and helping them learn and grow. Like what's, What's your plan now? What have you been up to? You bet. Yeah. So I left in 2019 and uh, it was early 2021. I was hacking on some of my own personal passion projects for for a while. Um, You mentioned the beach. So with our sale to private equity, yes, uh, I, you know, as a founder of the company, I was, um, did have, uh, did, I don't know how to say it. You know, it's like... Had how do some, I say I made a, a lot of money? Yeah, I had a, I mean, it was, it's, it has been, that acquisition was life changing for my family for sure. Um, it's awesome. And, Congrats. uh, we did, we got a little place down in Mexico. And, uh, so we travel down there as much as we can to, uh, spend some time on the beach, uh, fostering our, our Spanish skills. Um, you know, Love it. and so, and while down there, um, you know, the most key thing, that we've got at the place in at our, at our place in Mexico is uh, a three or four hundred megabit down connection, so that I can actually stay connected and and and, and hack That's you know awesome. while, while I'm close to close to the surf. Um, but while I was down there uh, in 2021, I got a call from an early Mass Relevance advisor who said, "Hey." Uh, I've got, I'm on the board of this company here in Austin and they've just moved their senior engineer into the CTO role. I had a lot of respect for the way that you ran the team at mass relevance would love Would you, would you be interested in coaching this person? And I said, oh, I, I absolutely, I talked to startup, you know, startup founders all the time and, you know, mentor and advise, like, do you think that's something I could get paid for? He said, you bet, man, I, I, I actually coach CEOs. Let me show you how I, how I run it. And so he basically showed me the ropes. I had my first conversation with this new CTO and gosh, it was so easy. I don't mean like, like, oh, it's so easy because I know so much. It was just, it was easy breezy, you know, easy to have the comfort, just like this conversation with you. It's so much of coaching is is pattern matching. It's like, what have I seen? Mm. What stories do I have that might have an impact for whatever situation this person is going through right now? Um, and so I fell in love with it and immediately on the heels of that, I started making little one to two minute videos that I posted on TikTok. And wouldn't you know it? I mean, there, there are like, I think hundreds of millions of people on, on TikTok now. And there is there is a niche for uh, for everybody out on TikTok. There, I, I built a little yeah. bit of an audience there, and um, once you have over a thousand followers on TikTok, you can put a URL in your profile, and so people would see these engineering management and leadership related nuggets on TikTok. If they were so inclined, they might look at my profile, they might click the link, and I I put on my personal website, hey, if you think you might 
gain some value from from some coaching, let me know. Reach out, apply, and if it's yeah. a fit, then we'll we'll make it happen. And I very quickly built a a client base, um, and that has been that's my my post team running my personal post team running evolution is um, coaching these other technology leaders. I hope to foster a generation of capable and compassionate Love engineering it. leaders. That is what I hope to do. That is my personal, my top personal goal. And I think that so far I've been able to make a bit of a dent there. Um, you know, I am posting uh, still a bit to TikTok. I'm trying to build out a bit of a YouTube channel with a little bit longer form content. Yeah. Um, and I, I just I know that with the the folks that I have coached that I've been able to have an impact. You know, they share that with me. I see it when we when we meet um, and, you know, <laughs> through posting these videos on social media, I'm hopeful that I can have a bit more of a broader impact, too. Man, I love that so much. And as you know, a firsthand uh, benefactor of this coaching, I will say that you definitely want brian dayton to be the coach of your of your engineering leaders um i, I think i loved Thank how you. i do remember back then even i know the company wasn't huge but it had gotten pretty big that i was kind of blown away that as a junior developer i got to have one-on-ones with this vp of engineering you know like to be able to talk to the co-founder of the company i don't remember how often it was but on a regular basis was um and those are those are great conversations where I, I think you mostly just asked how are you doing? And I would just spew and then you would kind of point me in the right direction. And that was it. And it, I just felt recharged to, to go back out and win. So I that love kinda, that you're able to have that kind of impact, man. That kind of sounds like my coaching these days. It's like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> seriously. It's, yeah, I'm sure. Um, I think, and I, and I, I, you know, I've, I've made some videos about this, but like what you're describing is what I would hope to foster in other engineering leaders as well is just, operating like an approachable peer and only when you need to step up when a decision needs to be made like then step forward and make the call but this notion of operating as an approachable peer is something that so many people don't envision from management they don't envision from executives you know going back to what i said like we wanted to build a company where people wanted to work and they didn't want to leave i think that's an important piece you know these people leading the company high authority, you know, they'll sit down and and meet with me and and ask how I'm doing. Like, as long as you're doing it genuinely, you want to hear from this person, you want to help them. Yeah. Then I think that rings true. And it it makes for, I think, a really special place. Yeah. I think for, for folks looking at jobs, you know, I think finding a place where that kind of leadership is in in place. Yeah. I'll just say, I, I remember being the new hire and I, was just doing the math in my head in terms of, Hey, I'm, you know, associate software engineer, which means I'm lowest level, the newest guy. Like that, that means on paper, I'm literally the worst developer here, but yet <laughs> I, I still get to have meetings with, with the co-founder. This, this is great. Um, man, I, uh, the last couple of minutes here, I did want to ask, um, a few parting pieces of advice from you. So let's say that you're a junior developer, um, and you've either just, graduated from a bootcamp, started your first job or a couple of years in. And like a lot of the people who we talk to, you're thinking about career trajectory, right? And I think these are two amazing paths that more people should consider, which is entrepreneurship, which can turn into engineering management, mm-hmm. um, or it's possible to be an engineering manager uh, without having to start a company. Like what, what kind of things can they start exploring now or even maybe things they can work on. What does it look like to prepare yourself for that? And is there a moment whenever you're ready to, obviously the engineering manager has like a more clear path, but is there a moment whenever you feel like you need to be ready before you can leap off into entrepreneurship? Maybe let me start with, so a tough question. Um, I do think as I referenced before about my kids, like you probably need to, explore, you know, be introspective about like, does this fuel me? This notion of building something new to solve a problem. Uh, it's inherently risky. Am I up for that? Not everybody is. And that's okay. Um, I'd say if you have that 
internal fire, that desire to build something new, to create something that hasn't existed, then personally, I think the baby step there is, is hack nights. And, and even, even short of hack nights, like, like let's, let's, uh, be a little bit more abstract from hack nights, setting, setting aside time to focus on these little passion endeavors of, of yours is so important Yeah, because as you know, especially as you build a family, life just fills in the gaps. If you don't, if you don't set time aside to do something, and as I said with my wife, you know, have support for that, then life yeah. will naturally fill in the gaps and you just, you won't do it. You won't do it. So I do, I think one really important step is setting aside time. If you have the fire, set aside some time to pursue it. Um, regarding management and, and leadership specific, well, I'll say management specifically. One of the best ways to get your feet wet there, I think there are two, two ways. So um, one is mentoring. You know, if there is somebody less experienced than you doesn't even need to be at your same company that you might have the opportunity to mentor, to show the ropes that requires you to meet with, meet with them, connect with them, understand what their challenges are. All of which I think are incredibly important and fundamental skills for a manager and leader to develop. Secondly, one step further, I loved in my team uh, and my, you know, our, my engineering team grew from two at the, or, you know, two in the early days to eventually 300. Yeah. This company grew from like three to 1500 people over, over 10 years. And the engineering team Crazy. was like 300 around the world. And, uh, we had an internship program. We never brought on very many interns or never, uh, had very many interns, just a summer internship yeah. program. I think at most it was eight people, but putting budding managers in a position of authority with respect to the internship program gave them the exposure, the opportunity to to really test this responsibility for architecting the careers, for helping those who were early on and, and, and newer in their careers. And so running the internship program is a great stepping stone f- to see whether or not you might be interested in pursuing a career in yeah. engineering management. That's great, man. And I think... Um well, quick plug, it, you know, Parsity is always looking for mentors. <laughs> so I think that could be a, that I actually experienced that at one point I was, um, mentoring, I was in between boot camps and I was mentoring for another boot camp, and I hadn't done that in a while. And I think it's similar experience, you know, it's lower level, but even if you're a junior developer, I think you can start mentoring boot camp students, boot camp grads, Absolutely. Um, because any, any steps ahead that you are are still steps ahead. That, mm. And it's sometimes it's even nicer to have folks who are a little bit closer to you in the experience level because you don't have that, that expertise gap. Um, man, I love that. I think there's like a hundred things that I would want to talk to you about that I feel like I didn't get to. Um, but I, I really appreciate you, Brian, coming on and sharing the story. It's, it, I, I feel like so many times in interviews when I do on the podcast, I'm like, oh, this is a totally an interview for me. Um, <laughs> hopefully it's helpful for listeners too. But I think definitely getting um, those bite-sized chunks and just getting the nuts and bolts of like what an incredible story you've, you've had in the the trajectory you're on to now sort of give back and impact more organizations with the experience that, that you've been through is, is a, is incredible testament to how you're, you're leveraging the, the things that you've been through for, um, for yeah, going forward for other, other, other organizations. I'm, thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited about the, um, opportunity I think I have to foster this generation of, of new compassionate leaders. And, uh, I'm just really grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and, and, and share that message with others as well. Awesome, Brian. All right. We'll plug all of your links in the show notes. Um, but yeah, thanks for joining. Sounds great. Thanks. All right. That is it for today's episode of the develop yourself podcast. Learn more about our online code school parsity. Visit parsity.io, P-A-R-S-I-T-Y.io to learn more about our onboarding program called Dev30. It's a 30-day JavaScript program. We're going to learn not just the skills of JavaScript, but how to get your mindset right, how to how to start growing your network from day one. 
then how to create habits, coding habits, right? Get into the habit of coding all the time. Visit dev30.xyz and take your first steps to becoming a software engineer. We'll see y'all next week.